Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Your Bible's ready, and we'll be ready right after the video. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your many blessings, especially the blessing of your son, Jesus Christ, and all that he has accomplished for us. Lord, thank you for the um, example of Noah and of God's love demonstrated through um, what he does with Noah and how he brings Noah and his family through safely from the flood. Thank you that um, we are beneficiaries of the people that have gone before us and um, all that we can learn from them. We thank you for that. We ask that you would bless our study, bless those that um, are here today, and let us have open hearts and open minds and open ears to hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. We'll watch the second video of our Noah series. Welcome back to Noah, the man, the ark, the flood. In the first session, we learned that more and more of Adam and Eve's descendants turned their backs on God, growing ever more corrupt and evil, while the number of those who believed in God, feared his wrath, and trusted in his promise of salvation kept dwindling until only one family of believers was left. Just Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives. We saw that Noah was not just some mythical Old Testament character who was ignored by the rest of Scripture. Jesus even compared the days when Noah built the ark to the days immediately before his second coming. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord because of the faith that was given to him by the Holy Spirit. God chose him to be the future of the human race through his sons and their wives and to preserve the animals that would repopulate the earth after the flood. In this session... We're going to explore his ark, its design, its construction, and whether it could really have carried all those animals. Let's begin. Noah first learns about the coming storm in the sixth chapter of Genesis. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark, and finish it to a cubit above, and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. Bodie Hodge holds a master's degree in mechanical engineering and is a speaker, writer, and researcher for Answers in Genesis. To understand the dimensions of the ark, we need to understand what a cubit is. 
right? A cubit is typically from about fingertip to elbow. Back in ancient times, the king that was in charge, their cubit was usually the, the official cubit. Now, because of that, we had a number of ancient uh, variants within the cubits. Now, scripture lists two cubits. You had a common cubit or a your standard cubit, and then you had a royal cubit or a longer and older cubit, which was about a cubit and a handbreadth. So it's a little bit longer. Uh, typically, the shorter cubit was somewhere in the neighborhood of about 18 inches. Your longer cubit was about 20 to 21 inches. Now, if you just used a shorter cubit, Noah's Ark would have been about 450 feet long. If you'd have used the longer cubit, it would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of about 510 feet long. Either way, Noah's Ark was pretty good size based on those cubits. God gave Noah some very specific dimensions about the ark. Um, is there anything special about that ratio? The dimensions of Noah's ark are actually brilliantly uh, aligned in their proportions. Uh, for example, let's just use our small model here. If I wanted a Noah's ark that was really strong, uh, you'd want to make it really tall so it wouldn't break in half. The problem is if you made this really tall, well, it could, it could capsize, could fall over. If you wanted a, a, a ship that was really stable, you'd want it really long like a cruise ship. But you never see cruise ships in a hurricane because they can break in the middle. You know, hull fracture. If you wanted a really stable Noah's Ark, you'd want it wide, like a pontoon boat. Noah's Ark's dimensions are balanced right in between all three of those. It is a brilliant uh, setup. In fact, those proportions are so well known that a lot of, a lot of people, when they make ocean-going vessels and ships, use that same ratio uh, when they're doing a lot of those ships. Was there any other kind of design features that Noah would have had to consider? Yeah, when it comes to the stability of Noah's Ark, Noah's Ark, uh, by, by the way it's balanced and its proportions in there, it's actually, it, it actually works very well, even in very rough uh, conditions. Uh, for example, if you've got crosswinds and things like that and waves coming in here, this thing will turn and get pushed along just beautifully. That's what some of these features here actually help out with as well. It helps guide and direct it. See, Noah's Ark, it didn't have a, a propeller to, to push it. It didn't have sails or anything like that. It was a floater. But if you have a, a handful of these features, it helps guide that, helps correct those things. And so, believe it or not, Noah's Ark can actually handle an awful lot of crosswind and waves and actually help ride itself. It really is a beautiful design. How can a 500-year-old man build such a massive vessel? Um, what kind of technology could he have used? People oftentimes ask, how in the world did Noah build this whole ark all by himself? Well, first off, he wasn't by himself. Uh, you know, a lot of times uh, people recognize from the Bible that he had his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But let's keep in mind, People can also use contractors. They can use other people to build certain things. I mean, you know, a lot of people say, well, how did Ken Ham build the Creation Museum? Well, he didn't do it by himself. Uh, he actually hired a number of different people, contractors, and people would come in and do that sort of thing. Now, a lot of people seem to think, in today's culture anyway, that people were very primitive back in the past. But they were not very primitive. You go back before the flood, Tubal Cain, for example, uh, was known to be a, a tool maker. They can make all sorts of things out of iron. And so I would say they probably used skilled laborers with some of those pretty advanced tools. Uh, discuss the technology of the ancients which enabled them to build ancient wonders like, like pyramids and the Colossus of Rhodes and, and, and so on. Could no one his sons have carried this technology and skill through the flood and then, well, pass it on to their descendants who built these ancient wonders? I, I would suggest that's exactly what happened. I mean, they could have attained a lot of this technology. They could have carried some of that information through. And Noah lived 350 years after the flood. Shem lived 500 years after the flood. They surely carried this technology uh, to many others, taught them this sort of thing. Now, 
I would uh, want to point out an event. The Tower of Babel split people apart. Now, according to Archbishop Usher, that was about 100 years after the flood. And so you have different people who are probably skilled in a lot of these different areas now get split apart going to different parts of the world. So that splits your technology up. So one particular culture going in one different direction um, may have excelled in, in, in something like tool making or somebody over here could have excelled in, say, pottery or, or you know, different other skills. But they're separated apart. So in one sense, we lost a lot of technology at that point. You just mentioned that Noah and his sons could have done this, but how long would it have taken to build such a massive ship? Yeah, you know, the Bible actually gives us kind of a, 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 some brackets in here. Uh, the Lord gave a 120-year countdown until the flood, so maximum time will be 120 years. Now, a realistic time isn't that 120 years because Noah wasn't told to build the ark until later on. And when the Lord says, hey, I want you to build an ark, he says, I want you to build an ark for you um, and for your sons and for your sons' wives. So not only does the sons have to be born, but they have to be old enough to have uh, attained a wife. I actually wrote an article on our website where I actually look at some of those different factors given in the Bible, and I've come up with a range somewhere in the neighborhood of about 55 to 75 years, probably as a maximum uh, for the actual time to build the ark. It may have been much less than that, but uh, just based on a biblical uh, uh, account, that's probably the, the best guess I can give you. As large as the ark had been, how could it fit every type of land-dwelling animal? Yeah, Noah's Ark, because it had three decks, it, it, really the key is the, you know, how much surface area do you have, you know, for these different ones. So Noah's Ark, based on the smaller cubit, the 18-inch cubit, being about 450 feet long with three decks, that's actually equivalent to about 244 railroad stock cars worth of space. So if you see one of those big railroad stock cars, just think 244 of those, that's an immense amount of space. Whether he worked alone with his family or hired on help. This was clearly a construction project that Noah couldn't hide away in the basement or garage. But we don't see it in the original account in Genesis. Peter makes it clear that Noah didn't hesitate to tell his neighbors what he was doing. God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. In fact, the word herald there is the word that's used for proclaiming a message, a positive message, a message of good news. So Noah, in a sense, you could say was a preacher of sin and grace, law and gospel way back then. It's a very sobering thought that all those people outside the ark, they had opportunity to go through the door to be saved. But you know, it's not God's fault that they drowned. It's their fault. God stepped into history to save us from what we did. He wants to save us. And so he stepped into history to be that door. Jesus said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he'll be saved. He's that ark of salvation. And that door is open right now. Now, Noah's ark, that door shut, and the judgment came. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds and of the animals according to their kinds. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this, and he did all that God commanded him. God told Noah how to build the ark and what to put inside it. How was he supposed to find the time to construct the ark and then go out on safari to all the other continents to gather in all those animals? 
before the flood, we would say there was only one continent. A creationist actually talked about the continent splitting up a long time before evolutionists started talking about continental drift over millions of years. We believe that the plates were split up catastrophically at the time of the flood. The other thing is that Noah didn't have to go out and collect the animals. The Bible says God chose the animals to come to Noah. Two of each kind of land animals, seven of some. And there weren't millions of animals and millions of species to go on the ark, as people think. It was representatives of each of the land animal kinds. What is a kind? Well, in the classification system, farm class order, family, genus, species, we would say in most instances, not all, but most instances, a kind is more at the family level of classification. For instance, you have the family of dogs. So you'd only need two dogs. And those dogs come off Noah's Ark. You can end up with dingoes and wolves and coyotes and jackals and foxes and so on, uh, different species of dogs, but they're just dogs. That's not evolution, by the way. It's just because of the incredible amount of genetic variability that we already have, that God put in you know, the gene pool for dogs, the gene pool for elephants, the gene pool for cats and so on. Actually, our scientists have done a lot of research on this, and they're suggesting there are probably less than 1,000 actual animal kinds needed on Noah's Ark. That means just over 2,000 animals on the Ark the average size of a land animal is not that big. There was tons of room on Noah's Ark. We now come to one of those problems that seems to confound Christians. Science teaches that dinosaurs disappeared from the Earth 66 million years ago. Science also teaches that humans have first appeared on Earth between 120,000 and 200,000 years ago. Science says the fossil record proves this. However, the Bible teaches that the world is only several thousand years old. Are we supposed to believe Noah took dinosaurs into the ark? That makes the story even more unbelievable. For some reason, people think there's some big mystery about dinosaurs that they're different to other animals in a, in a major way. They're just another group of land animals, that's all. Some were large, not, not that many of them, actually. There's only about 50 families of dinosaurs, which means about 50 kinds of dinosaurs. Here's the interesting thing. There's a lot of animals today that live beside man that, according to evolutionists, lived with dinosaurs or even before dinosaurs. You know, take crocodiles. According to evolutionists, crocodiles evolved before dinosaurs and lived with dinosaurs and lived today beside man. And they mock at us for believing man lived with dinosaurs. You could look at other creatures too. You could look at the Nautilus or the horseshoe crab, which supposedly evolved millions of years before dinosaurs, lived with dinosaurs, and the horseshoe crab lives today, lives beside people. So why is it so weird, even from an evolutionist perspective, to say man lived with dinosaurs? It's because they have been adamant that dinosaurs evolved into birds and dinosaurs died out 65 million years ago. It's all part of the evolutionary story, so they can't have man and dinosaur living at the same time. Well, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people don't realize most of the dinosaurs are actually much smaller. Uh, the average size of all the dinosaurs is about the size of a sheep or so, you know, maybe, a, maybe a, a bigger dog here. And keep in mind, too, Noah probably picked the smaller ones, the younger ones, the juveniles. Less food, less space, less waste. Let's face it, uh, that's, that's, that's the logical means to do all that. And now, the million-dollar question. Where is the ark? Could it have survived for thousands of years and be resting on the mountains of Ararat, just waiting to be discovered? 
if we were to find the ark, I mean, that would be a powerful confirmation of the Christian faith. If we were to say, hey, here's Noah's ark, we found a chunk of it or a significant portion of it, we would think that would be the find of not just a century, probably for the last two millennia, uh, because that is a big find. Now, I want people to understand, though, in the secular world, they would probably come up with some sort of rescuing device. Oh, you know what? Somebody probably planted that thing up in the up in the mountains, you know, back in the Middle Ages or something. You know, they would try to rescue their worldview. Now, as Christians, finding the ark or not finding the ark, our faith is not dependent upon that. If we find it, that'd be a great confirmation, but it's not necessary uh, for the Christian faith. I'm sure that you have many more questions. You'll find more information in the discussion guide. In our next session, we'll explore where all that water came from, how it changed the face of the earth, and what an ancient global catastrophe like the flood has to do with us today. Okay, so before we read Genesis 7, so it really brings us up, this video brought us up to Genesis 7, and I know Pastor read, you read in Bible study last week, Genesis 6, what are some reactions to the video and what we just heard? Responses, reactions, and Larry is here with our microphone. Thank you, Larry, so people can hear online. Anything new? John? I've seen, um, well, about a year or so ago, a video that had some people went into eastern Turkey and found what they think are the, was the site of the Ark. And one of the people involved in this whole project was a former astronaut. Huh. And uh, what they found was it looked like uh, they had it staked out. Uh, it was the dimensions and shape of the Ark. And uh, they had some difficulty with the Turkish government restricting access to that area. Mm. So they haven't been able to apparently do any more research on it. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. Anyone else? Karin? We'll go by table here. <laughs> so this is telling me that all of us are ancestors of Noah's children? Yeah. That's a lot of multiplication. I agree. <laughs> that's what that's what it seems like. Uh, that that's what it seems like because, and we'll we'll see this actually in what we read today. Um, you know, God had given the command to be fruitful and multiply, and we have evidence that Noah was fruitful and multiplied before the flood, but not after the flood. And it looks like his children were fruitful and multiplying after the flood, not before the flood. So, yeah. Anyone else? Okay. Bob? Yeah, one of the points that was made by the speakers was if we found the ark the absolute confirmation of Christianity. But I also feel that maybe it really is touching on the idea, you know, that Christ explained to Thomas, blessed are you who have believed but have not seen at this point. And it's almost a feeling that I have that that's what is, was, is being faced here. Hmm. Thank you for that. Yeah, I didn't consider that 
in that way. I do like that he followed it up with that our faith is not dependent on finding the ark. Um, and, and sometimes it can seem like that if we just had those confirmations. But like you said, Jesus said, you know, blessed are those who believe and haven't seen. And so we can be among that. We can be among that group as well, which is good. Okay. Well, we can bring other things up as we go along. So if anything comes back up to you, um, you know, feel free to reference the video. Uh, I'm going to read this because, so for the people online that they can hear um, this, but I'm also reading from the NIV version. So if you have a different word, um, okay. Oh, okay, there. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, they're closing the school, so she's got to go get her kiddo. Yeah. They have to go to the bathroom. We can't, we can't keep them from going to the bathroom. We can keep you from going to the bathroom because you're adults and you can leave, but they cannot. Um, so, um, I, okay, so we're going to read this, and if you are reading a different translation and you have a different word than what I say, go ahead and write that down if you think it's significant. After I read this, then we'll get some feedback about what, what's in here. So uh, Genesis chapter 7, the Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark, as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened. And rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings." Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. All right, what did we hear? What jumped out at you? Or did you have a different word than what I read that maybe seemed significant to you? Steve? You know, in NIV it says, male and female came to Noah. Mm -hmm. But I looked at two other versions, and it's not came to, 
but went into the ark. Huh. Which Interesting. I see that as a totally different connotation. Mm. You know, they came to him or they just went in. Yeah. That doesn't really say that God delivered them from mm. Noah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Sue? Thanks. And what impresses me again about this story of destruction and recreation, so to speak, is that in the initial creation, uh, God created man and animals, and he gave man dominion over the animals, and therefore responsibility over the animals, and Mm -hmm. he gave Noah that same dominion and responsibility, which um, I think we still have today, to protect and have dominion over them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that it it mirrors the beginning, right? And that God didn't wipe out all the animals. He didn't say, well, we'll just start over with all the animals, right? He he showed that protection and gave them to Noah to protect. Yeah, thank you. John? One of the Bibles I have at home, and I can't remember what version it is, Revised Standard Version or something, said that in addition to all these animals, uh, God told Noah to take seven clean and pairs of seven clean animals for sacrifice mm. and he was to sacrifice these at designated time mm. and uh, I don't recall it was kind of a surprise to me to read that because I read this story so many times yeah that's interesting I have not heard that I don't know if anybody else has heard that before but um, it's interesting because they had there was God had not really set up that sacrificial system yet you know so that's interesting there was a, there were sacrifices for sure um but carol well i had a question regarding the numbers because before the game, <laughs> you had a question regarding the numbers carol yeah, Monroe? You know, imagine that. <laughs> we all have our gifts yes <laughs> well the end of chapter six yes it was two of every sort and then i got into seven and it said you know that it was seven pairs of clean animals which makes sense if it was for a sacrifice. Right. But then I questioned why they wanted the unclean animals yeah. too. Yeah. Since he was destroying, you know. Yes. Clearing the earth of all the wrong people. You yes. Know, the violent people and uh, the animals yeah. with it. That's a really good question. And so there... So going back to what we know about Genesis, right, and how, and how some of Genesis is written, it's not necessarily written 100% straightforward. There's a lot of poetry in Genesis. So if you go back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, what do we have? We have two accounts of the creation story, right? Um, and it, they're told a little bit differently. So there are two schools of thought. One is um, that the editor's tried to massage that to make it uh, work and just kind of said, well, we need to kind of correct it because there are two here and seven here. And then the other school of thought is that it's just that's the way it was said over here, but then there's other instructions over here. Um, Clearly, though, uh, you have – so you wouldn't say – so a pair is already plural, right? So so two pairs – would actually be four, right? So if you had two pairs of something, you have a pair, which is already two, and so if you had two of them, that would be four. So it's not very, it's not necessarily meant to be very straightforward is what 
what I have come to the conclusion, um, because it is supposed to be a little bit more, well, God said this over here, but then we get a little bit more specific instructions over here, um, very similarly to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, where you, sometimes you say, well, those, are, those look very different, the creation accounts, but really they're the same. They're just, they're just told in a different way and in a little bit with more specificity in one than the other. Um, but it does seem like there were 14, 14 of those animals, right? So seven pairs, so 14 of the clean, 14 of the unclean. Um, and we'll get to the why, the unclean, in a little bit, too. John? I don't recall uh, who's given credit for writing Genesis. It was, it was Abraham or Moses or somebody. But it was this was passed down through many generations of, of stories. And you know from practical experience that family legends, as they come down through the generations, uh, evolve into something different than what really happened. So some of the, some of the questions about... Uh, this story, uh, claiming it to be a, not a legitimate story, you can understand uh, what's happened because it's been passed down verbally for so many years. Mm-hmm. Well, and I also think, so animals are fallible, right? I mean, they're not, even, there's certainly some of these animals could have died on the boat if, if they were sick, you know, if they got sick or whatever, or they died of old age, although... One of the speakers says that they probably brought the younger ones in, which is totally plausible. But I see God as a God of an ab- abundance, right? So God's not, I don't think God would just say, well, just two, right? So you just have, you just have two to bring on. But God's like, no, we're going to, that would be a lot of populating, right? <laughs> after, after the fact. So um, first Ken and then Linda and then Roger. Ken. Uh, what is, what does it refer to two pairs? In chapter six. Chapter 6. He read it in 19 and 20. And then, where does it see two pair? It says two of every kind of bird and every kind of animal. Yes. But then he goes on to say seven pair, seven pair. Maybe it was in a different translation. I, I, the seven pairs. Yeah, I was reading a different translation that it said that called it two pairs before, so it w- was not in the NIV. I'm not sure which it was in. You said we're talk about the unclean. We will, but I think the unclean is a reference to what they were to eat, not eat, perhaps. Unclean animals were not unclean in the sense that they're they're required for the effort of the ecological. The ecology work takes the unclean as well. Of course, yes, exactly. Yeah, they're not unclean as if they're not working, right? Yeah, they have their place. Linda? The law distinguishing unclean and clean was on Mount Sinai, which was a much later. Later. You got it. Yes. So Good point. <laughs> how, how, how does he know yes. what was unclean? Did God tell him? God, well, yes. That is a good question, right? We will, we, I promise we will address it. Yes. 
One of the questions you wonder about is how did all the animals know? Yeah. But <laughs> I guess several years ago there was a tsunami on one of the South Sea islands, and I remember one of the human sign was the water just went out from the shore. But they commented that all the birds mm. and the animals had left yeah. well before that tsunami hit. So they know where God puts that word in there. Yeah. And that they know that something is coming. Yeah. They're smart enough to leave. The humans are not. Yeah. Because <laughs> they have different instincts, right? They yes. they have a different awareness of, of the world around them than we do. So, okay. Uh, Pastor Freilich? And then Lois. Yeah. Well, please do. Yeah. No, you don't. Just do it. <laughs> we get caught up in the things of the world. Mm-hmm. This is a book of theology. This is about God. It's not about the animals. It's about God's grace and God's mercy right from the very beginning. And, and I think so often we read it as a history book. Mm-hmm. It's a book of theology. Mm-hmm. It's how God has his grace and mercy for each and every one of us, every creature. Thank you. You didn't hate to do that. That was good. Thank you. I appreciate that. Lois, and then we're going to keep, then we're going to uh, up here. Sorry. Let me not just say words. Let me, let me point to people, too. <laughs> Actually, Pastor, you answered the question. Book of <laughs> theology, I was always curious, what about all the water animals and creatures? And it doesn't mention that. And that's the thing of the world. So you perfectly answered it already. I just have always thought about yeah. water animals. Where did they go? Were they saved? Did they yeah. just reproduce? Yeah. I would hope, I would hope that... That they stayed in the yeah they tried they didn't try to get up but right yeah yeah they were just keeping go, yeah they were just keep going okay all right so we're gonna continue on here just a f- just two things that I want you to see as we go forward um, so in the flood narrative we have this kind of theme we have seven days forty days one hundred and fifty days forty days seven days uh, we we read through it we'll see that again this week and then in two weeks. But I want you to see how how God has given us some of these, um, I want to say symmetrical, uh, you know, progressions. Um, so it's seven days, 40 days, 150 days, 40 days, seven days. Uh, that'll You'll see that as we go forward. Um, and again, in this idea of almost poetry-like language, in verse 6 we have the flood. Because this is where we could kind of get caught up too. Well, why does it say the flood, entry, flood, entry? Didn't they already go into the ark? But we have the flood, and then we have, in verse 6, then we have the entry into the ark, verses 7 through 9. Then it references the flood again, 10 through 12, and then entry into the ark, verses 13 through 16. So in, in some ways, we have to look at this and see how the writer has set it up, and in a way that we don't always understand because we're not reading this in its original language. Um, but the way that the writer has put some of this together would make a lot of sense to the culture in which they were in, and they would hear it very differently. Sue? Sorry. Larry? <laughs> Um, well, NIV study Bible says that it was part of the, of course, it was part of the Pentateuch, which was given to Moses credit right. for having written it. And from what I understand, well, there wasn't that much written on, and there was poetry and there was music. Mm-hmm. And I think that that made it more 
made it more easily remembered mm -hmm. as the stories were passed down. And so I think that has to do with how things are written. Yeah, I agree. It's, and it's beautiful if you, if you look at it in the way that the writer could have intended it to be written. It's interesting because for CDT, with a CDT class, we ask them to memorize the books of the Bible, but we do it through song. Um, and so I've told them, you know, when I was youth and family minister, you will be singing this in your sleep. And when you are, you know that you know the books of the Bible in their order. Um, it's a lot easier to know it by song. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what they say. Sometimes they have to sing through it, but hey, they know it. It's a lot easier than just, you know, remembering it the way that uh, we sometimes try to memorize. Okay, so let's look at verse 1. The Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Highlight here, don't let the second half of this verse mislead you. God is not saying that because Noah is righteous, he will be saved, Right? It's not Noah's obedience in building the ark that causes his salvation, because that would lead us to a works righteousness type of situation, which we don't see cause for here. So Noah's righteousness is not one of merit, but it's the purpose of Yahweh. So the purpose of Yahweh is that Noah would be righteous. I know that pastor talked about this last week. It does not mean that Noah was perfect, right? He was not the first Messiah. Um, God chose Noah as a suitable representative of the human race, one by whom humanity would be saved. Uh, so sometimes we can get caught up on that word righteousness. Um, so we don't want to look at that as if Noah was, you know, somehow this was his work. This is God's work here. And, and because God is righteous, he is chosen Noah to be that way. Um, so verse two, take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. So we're presupposing here that the ark has been built, right? Uh, we don't see the ark actually being built. If you want to see that, then you can watch the movie with Steve Carell and, uh, you know, he actually builds the ark, um, and it's a pretty funny movie. But we don't see that actually happening here. Just before entering the ark, Noah receives these detailed instructions about who and what he is supposed to take. Interestingly, God is also calling Noah to preserve those that are not clean, right? Uh, the text doesn't technically say unclean, but it does say not clean. In some translations, it says unclean, but it's really not clean, we don't yet have the Levitical laws that tell us which animals are clean and unclean, um, presumably because they aren't given animals to eat until when? When, do, when does humanity start eating animals? They're not eating animals yet. After the flood, they're given the ability to eat animals. Up until this time, they're not eating animals. So we don't need clean and unclean because... They're, they're not eating them, right? They're, they're just not eating them. Um, so it's, it's still interesting that God still spares those animals that were not clean from death. Um, and I think, as Pastor said, this is not about animals. It's not about humanity, but it is about God. But that animals are as much of an object of Yahweh's compassion as Noah and his family are. And so it's interesting that he doesn't just choose whatever he determines clean or not clean, uh, but he, he says all these animals will be saved, um, which is, 
which is interesting. It's an interesting, you know, thing to point out, especially since we don't yet have the clean and unclean laws. Going forward to verse 4, seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. So to send rain is, yes, it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a steady rain, right? But it's, the severity is the fact that it goes on for 40 days and 40 nights. It's, that's what really impacts what is happening here. Um, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. So what did Noah do? He obeyed. Yes. Thanks, Sue. He obeyed, right? Um, Noah was obedient to what God had told him to do. We're not given a lot of information how Noah physically constructed the ark. As the speaker said, uh, we assume that Noah did not build it all by himself. Um, that, that would be, he would need extra help, right, from God um, to be able to do that. So we don't have an account that how, what he used to construct, or who he used to construct it. We know the materials he did. The author doesn't find this necessarily apparently, but we are essentially told that Noah gets the job done. So we see Noah's obedience and successful completion carried out in these next few verses. In verses 1 through 5, it began with what God said to Noah, what he was to do, and it ended with a note that Noah did what God had commanded him to do. God also told Noah what God himself was going to do in seven days send rain. And verses 6 through 9, which are coming up, represent Noah's fulfillment of verse 1. So if you go back to verse 1, right, Lord saying to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family. And we see verses 6 through 9 coming up represent Noah's fulfillment of verse 1. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came to the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. So Noah's sons, at least one of them, would have had to be about, what, 100 years old or so, give or take? <laughs> I know, can you, ima- can you just imagine? I can't even imagine, like, building something like that uh, now. Um, by the time they entered the ark, we're given no more evidence that Noah had any more children after the flood, Um, but that his sons and their wives had children after the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, birds and all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. Verse 10, that after the seven days, the floodwaters came to the earth, represents the fulfillment of the divine promissory note, so to speak, right? Of verse 4. So going back to verse 4, God's going to send these rains for in seven days. 10, in verse 10, we see that coming true. Noah does what God says. God does what God says he's going to do. He's faith, faithful to his own word as Noah is to God's word. Note the continued use of the seven days. What else happens in seven days? Creation, right? Creation, before, before God started his creating process, there was the earth, right? But it was, what does the Bible say? What was it? Yeah, null, void, formless, void, chaotic, right? There was, there was no order to what was on this earth. And so, 
So what God did by unchaoticing, right? He took the he took chaos and made it not chaotic. I know I'm making up words. Um, I think it's I think it's this Bible study. You just have to make up words at the 10 a.m. Bible study. I'll use it tonight too. Um, so you take the chaos. It was chaos. God made it not chaotic. And now what's happening? It's going back to chaos, right? Creation is being somewhat undone here. Not completely, but interestingly that it's the seven days and the seven days, right? The world was then thrown into chaos seven seven days after Noah was put in the ark. In the section of Genesis 7, 6 through 16, it swings back and forth between describing the flood and the entry into the ark, as I showed you before. Um, So what they're doing is summarizing the points from earlier on. And so we have the flood, we have the entry into the ark, the flood, the entry into the ark. I'm going to stop there for a second. Any any thoughts or comments before we finish these last couple of verses? Ken? Some of us are just mouthy. Uh, in verse 11, that talks about the same time. Uh, all the springs of the great deep burst forth. I think to find out, if I remember from Ken Ham, uh, that this was extremely chaotic. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just the rain. Right. The water, the reshaping of the topography of the earth is going to be happening at this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we get that chaos there. John Buckles? One of the things that's interesting to me is how specific they are in terms of the dates and when this happened. Yeah. And somehow this is passed down to the generations. They're very specific about the timing of all of this. Yeah, I agree. It is very specific. Bob, just give one second so Larry can give you the microphone. Up here. Sorry, Larry. Somewhere in the past, I've had the interpretation that 40 days, the number 40, means long enough, and it's not definitive. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess I wonder here, if God gave them latitude... By having, giving them enough time, long enough, without being specific. That's a good question. Yes, so it's, sometimes it is taken like that. Then we see the parallel, right? When Jesus was um, in, the, in the desert, right, for 40 days. Um, and so it's a good question. I, I'm not. I'm not ready to say uh, a specific yes or no. It could be though, right? If 40 days was, and that's why it's used, and that's why it's um, symbolic of of long enough. Yes, yeah. Or it could have been. Or this is where it originated. 40 days. That's enough, right? <laughs> this is where God starts it when it says 40 days. That's enough. Anyone else? All right, we have five-ish more verses. Okay. So, going to what Ken was just saying, right? So, we have the eruption of the ocean waters, and we have this water coming from the sky. 
Um, going back to our creation account, what do we know at the beginning of Genesis? What is, what does God separate? Everything, right? The waters, right? The, the waters of the sky, the waters of the earth, and now they're coming back together again. And so the water's coming up and the water's coming down, and it go, we get thrown back into the chaos. Interestingly, again, just with some numbers, look at this. They, yeah, there are two sources of water from the eruption of ocean waters in a massive downpour. We have a couple more twos coming up. We have two causes for the flood, water below, water above, two kinds of occupants in the ark, right? We have human, we have animal, and then we also have two names for the deity. We have Elohim and Yahweh, Elohim being God and Yahweh being Lord. Just interesting what the author is doing here um, and giving us some symbolism with some numbers. We see this, the twos, we see this in the pairs, right? So the flood uncreates and returns the earth to a pre-creation period when there was only waters. When the spring of the great abyss are split, the waters come loose. This phrasing only occurs elsewhere in the Old Testament in poetry in Psalm 36, 7. Psalm 78.15, Isaiah 5.10, and Amos 7.4. So this could be a poem-like version of the flood in chapters 7 and 8. Verse 12, And rain fell on the, day, on the earth forty days and forty nights. On that very day Noah and his son Shem, Ham, Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every, every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing, as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. I think this is a great place to stop. I feel like it's, we're like in a movie, you know, and not like the Noah movie, but like, and then the Lord shut him in. Dun, dun, dun. You know, what's coming up next? Um, and what's coming up next, interestingly, uh, and the, the speakers alluded to this, was the safety, right? And we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, is the safety of that ark for Noah and his family and the animals. Um, so they were shut in and protected by the Lord through this ark, which, as we know from our reading and from knowing this account, you know, Noah, Noah didn't win many friends uh, doing this, and no one else came along. Uh, but everybody outside the ark was not, they were not saved. Um, and I, I like what Pastor Harmon said last week, like, how bad was it, right? How, how bad was it that God decided to do this? Um, and yet it was an act of mercy that God did not let them continue in this way. Um, and in any time there are innocent bystanders, right, and we, we don't know what the animals were doing, but we assume since God decided to save enough to repopulate the earth of the animals that they were somewhat innocent bystanders in all of this, um, and, but that God still felt that it was good, you know, to continue what creation had, had started. Any closing thoughts before I turn this over to Roger? John. I think it's interesting that in uh, verse 14, he talks about every beast and every livestock. Hmm. Uh, how do they 
categorize these animals? What do they be considered to be livestock and what are considered beasts? Is, is this what we have come down to through the uh, generations? Is livestock being cows and sheep and horses and that sort of thing? Were there other kinds of animals considered as livestock? That's a good question. I think yes. I'm not. I I'm not sure. I would not say definitively, but I think yes. And I also think it was interesting what they said on the video about how we think. I don't know. We think of it being a lot of different animals, but but that there would be you know dogs would be or canines would also include wolves and I don't know what else he said coyotes maybe or something. Um, so that that is interesting. Um, but I, I would think a beast would be more like a lion, right? I mean, some people might eat lion, but probably not. <laughs> um, I hope not. Yes. Any other, any other thoughts or questions that I can't answer? <laughs> I think so. I think, I think hooved, hooved animals are what I think of as more of livestock. Also understanding that they probably, the word was probably different in Hebrew than livestock. Okay. All right, I'm going to turn it over to Roger. And Roger, the, the papers are out there. Can you, Roger needs the microphone. Thanks, Larry. The papers are out there, Roger, on the table as well. Well, I want to thank you all for coming. Um, and most of you know the Senior Connect in conjunction with the Colonial Heritage Travel Club is sponsoring a tour to the Ark Encounter in Cincinnati. Well, actually, it's in Kentucky, right across from Cincinnati. June 4th through June 7th. Uh, the deadline's going to be, I can still get, there's plenty of room. I can still get you on, but I need the, res the reservation form payment by May 22nd. That's the last day that I can take it. So that's the trip deadline. It includes everything but lunch, and we're going to have a great time, even uh, dinner cruise on the Ohio River on a boat. So uh, you can get more information on it at our website, which is chtravelclub.org, chtravelclub.org if you want more. So I wanted to remind everybody, there's no meeting next week. The next meeting will be on the 22nd. Next week is the voters' meeting, so you're all required to go to that instead. <laughs> and, uh, but we're going to find out. Where did the water come from? And also, where did it go? What happened to it? You know, it, 40 days of rain, yeah, that's a lot of rain, but there's a lot more water that occurred than just could uh, happen in rain. Um, so if you have any questions, I'll be up here afterwards, and uh, maybe we can end with a prayer today. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for putting these examples in the Bible for us that you use imperfect people to fulfill your, your goals and your promises. We just ask that you put a vision in our life and, and use us any way that you deem for your purpose and uh, that, we, uh, that we can be a, an instrument of you in bringing people to your word and that they can be saved uh, as well through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We ask this in blessing in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Have a great week. 
Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and his people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org. Thank you.